This is Before the Light Goes Out with Catherine Williams. Kate St John is an English composer, arranger, producer and songwriter. She's a multi-instrumentalist, classically trained on oboe, but plays piano, saxophone, accordion and does string arrangements. Her string arrangements for Laura Marling's show at Celtic Connections were tender and beautiful and breathtaking. She was a member of the band The Dream Academy, who had a worldwide hit, Life in a Northern Town. She was a member of Van Morrison's band, playing live shows and appearing on five of his albums. She's toured with many other artists, Julian Cope, The Waterboys, Damon Alburn and Marianne Faithful. I met her in her role as musical director for a Nick Drake show at the Barbican. She's gone on to direct many more multi-artist shows, including Rogue's Gallery with Hal Wilner. Welcome, Kate St John. Lovely to be here, Kat. My first question is, how did you sleep last night? I slept really well, because it's been so freezing, so we've had to keep the windows shut. It's suddenly gone mild, so we had the window open last night. And Neil, my husband's got this horrible cough, so... He has been coughing a lot, but we had, no, we had a really good night last night. Thank you very much. How did you sleep? <laughs> I slept okay. I always wake up in the middle of the night and stick a podcast on and then get back to sleep. I think I stayed up later than everyone else last night watching some rubbish on television and feeling guilty for watching rubbish on television, but enjoying it all the same. <laughs> you know what we're hooked on at the moment? We've just what? like really discovered like really late to the game is Last Tango in Halifax. It's by the same writer whose name Sally Wainwright, who did Happy Valley, and same main actress. Brilliant. I know that they do a poem by is it Rosemary Tonks in that that she's like really hard to find poet, and they use one of her poems about um, an affair in that in a hotel room. Yeah, I know. We yeah. know that one. We recorded it. Remember with the Buddha box. Oh God! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's good because it's relatively lightweight, but not in that saccharine way that Call the Midwife or or the Vet one, which I'm afraid we have both watched as well. <laughs> you know, but it's not. But it, you know, it, it it's kind of light, but it hasn't got the endless awful music on it and the you know the overbearing strings and fucking pity I'm sorry pizzicatos and but it's got depth as well to it and it's got some quite deep stuff too so it it, it kind of combines the best of both worlds and it's good if you want to break from the kind of nordic noir or the really violent stuff so where are you sleeping tonight <laughs> well <laughs> yeah um yeah at home <laughs> in london cuddled up to neil mccall my lovely husband and Banjo, our dog. Yeah, we've got I, that weird thing since post-lockdown. We all got so used to not doing stuff and being at home that trying to get back to who I was before, but I realised that person's gone. So we're quite homebodies unless we're sort of out working. We don't actually go out that much. We're quite... My daughter's here and she's working and she has to get up really early. So we tend to all go to bed quite early so as to not make a noise, which is lovely. We just lie yeah. in bed and read for ages before going to sleep. I know, I've just been booking tours for uh, later in the year and thinking, who is the person who's going to go on this tour? Because I don't feel like that person anymore <laughs> at all. I know, it's weird, isn't it? And once you're there, it's great. But I've been doing some really great reading. I've, I've read just read a fantastic book. It's the autobiography of the lush singer, Mickey Berenyi. And uh, it's just, she's such a great writer and it's such a good read. So interesting, all about what it was like, her 
extraordinary childhood and then being an, a girl, a woman in a band in the 90s and Britpop and everything, really recommend it. Great book. Well, you were a, a woman in a band in the 80s. What was that like, touring? It was OK, actually. I didn't really come up against too much bad stuff, to, to be frankly honest. You know, there'd be the occasional, you know, record company exec who was a bit leery. Not, not, nothing that bad. As far as I can recall, people were quite respectful. And, you know, we, we were a band of three, so it was, I wasn't on my own, you know, so it was different. Yeah. I was sort of flanked by the other two. So where's the strangest place you've ever slept? Um, ooh. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had a really traumatic night sleeping without a tent on a campsite in Alicante in Spain when I was younger. And there was a terrible thunderstorm, so I spent the night in the cafe I had a romantic liaison with a lovely French guy in Mallorca in in, in a pine forest and I ended up covered in insect bites <laughs> the next day. <clears throat> that was a long time ago. But you've toured the world as a musician, so you must be used to hotel rooms and do you sleep when you travel? Yeah, I, I've got to say, I'm a, I'm I'm touch wood. I'm a really good sleeper. I don't have a problem other other issues, but not <laughs> sleep. Yeah, I tend if I'm anxious or depressed or anything, I I'm one of those people who just sleeps more rather than less, you know, to sort of escape from it. So, yeah, I mean, I I love a hotel room. That's the, I'm only saying that because I haven't been on a big tour for ages. I mean, I, the last time I did a tour was with. John Bowden back before lockdown I think that was sleeping in a bus I was in my 60s I found sleeping on a bus quite difficult to be honest which bunk did you choose uh I went for the upper one definitely but there were quite a lot of young people on that tour and so they'd be up partying and I'm if I stay up late I get really bad headaches in the morning so I'd be going to bed and then coming down at waking up really early, sitting in the cold detritus of everyone else with a headache <laughs> going, oh God, nine hours till the gig, what the fuck am I going to do? You needed a sidecar on the bus. Well, it's that thing, in fact, Mickey Berenian just says that at the end of her book, when now she's older, she said, if you could just open a cupboard, a door in your house and step out onto the stage and do a gig and then when you finish the gig, go back through that door into your home. It would be absolutely brilliant. It's all the other stuff around it. The sound yeah. checks, the hanging. I mean, when you're when you're playing with someone like Van Morrison, it's fine because everything's set up and you just sort of waltz on and I have to take my oboe out of its case on my sax. And that, I, you know, I love that. You know, nowadays, we, you know, we hunt the gear on, we help get it set up, we help get the gear off of a gig, don't we? Doing it all DIY on your own is very different to those big shows. Yeah. What was he like to work with? Well, you know, he gets a lot of bad press for being grumpy. And I, I've got to say, I mean, yeah, you know, he has his moments. But for me, it was one of the most positive, great musical experiences of my life you know and I'm old enough to know that and it was an incredible learning curve for me I've worked with a lot of band leaders and he's the most brilliant band leader he takes control he's a strong pilot he says what he you know with he communicates with his looks or with his hands with hand signals you know to bring the volume up to bring it down if he likes something you do and he also I mean this was in the early 90s you know and he was digging the band and it was a new thing he was in a good place but he encouraged people to try out new things and he wasn't threatened by that so if you came up with a new line and he liked it you go yeah that's it and then that would become part of the set and that's how those great big sort of mammoth medleys of his develop 
So I've worked with a lot of people who don't like you to come up with ideas that they haven't controlled or had something to do with, you know, and he, he gets that if you allow musicians to do their thing, it'll make him look good, it'll make the music better, it's, it, it, the musicians are happy, it's good all round. Grew up in public in terms of being a sax player, I was pretty useless when I started, but then he added other players in and I discovered the joy of playing in a horn section, it is one of the most fun things. I love playing in a horn section, I wish I did that more actually. And you know, there were many, many gigs where I just thought, you know, if I die tomorrow, I've done something really, really great. I mean, we I got to play with the James Brown horn section with Maceo Parker, Pee Wee Ellis and Fred es- Wesley and me, you know, <laughs> little old me, Blondie from Hampstead. And it was, was great. They're fantastic musicians. Again, they had nothing to prove. They weren't trying to show off or be flashy. They would do very simple, brilliant, precise little horn parts. And, uh, lovely, lovely people as well. And so were you on your own on those tours? Uh, at, the, at the beginning, it was just me on oboe and sax, which, you know, which was quite leery. I mean, it's fine on the oboe for the sax. I found it hard to do, like, really. Yeah, uh, were you touring as a single person on the road then? Were you in... With Van? Yeah, with Van Morrison. Well, were you were you in a family or relationship? You know, were you away from... Oh, I see. Oh, um, well, um, yeah, no, no, I was with Sid Griffin, my second husband, during the Van Morrison time. Yeah. So do you prefer sleeping alone or with someone? Well, I like sleeping with Neil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I really miss him. I mean, I'm fine to have the odd night on my own. I prefer sleeping with my husband, Neil. I wouldn't want to sleep with anyone else. Yeah, so when he's away on tours, do you do what changes? I let in the, the dog stay on the bed all night. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, when comes Neil back comes back, back, yeah, he's booted out. Poor. Yeah, Neil comes back and he's like, "Why is she scratching me behind the ears?" Yeah, <laughs> calling him Mister B. Yeah. <laughs> spoon, cuddle, or space? Being spooned. Being spooned. That's quite specific. Yeah, just that feeling safe and secure. Yeah, yeah. Though you know, I am of a certain age where I get hot, so it's spoon curl can't last all night. <laughs> we both end up like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> end up on the other side of the bed I think yeah. I think most most women over 60 are like that what keeps you awake I have my one huge phobia well main one is I'm terrible about medical things totally scared of doctors and biopsies and just pop this on you know the robe and all that horrible stuff with scans and and um so that that it makes me anxious but I've got to be honest again when I'm anxious I, I sleep because so then I can escape the anxiety you know that thing if you've got a big important thing the next day though you'll sleep but you'll toss and turn and it'll be in your dreams all night long variations of it it's more that I won't it's not that I won't sleep but I'll toss and turn with the thing I'm worrying about featuring in the, in the dream do you remember any dreams yeah have you got reoccurring ones or places you visit well, I have the classic musician's dream where, for me, as a reed player, it's always about the reed and I get on stage and the reed hardly works. So only one note out of ten comes out. All the reeds made of plasticine. I've had that a few times. You know, or, or I'm trying to get the oboe or the saxophone out of the case and I can't put it together. I can't remember how to put it together. Classic, yeah. absolute, every musician 
has that sort of dream. I'm sure actors have dreams about forgetting their lines. I've looked down on stage and and thought, why why can't I play guitar and my hands were my feet? Oh God, yeah. Those sort of things of like you can't get out of this situation. It's very physical, isn't it? It's like it's always about some. Like you say, your hands are just like lumps of meat, or you know. And I, I, and often in the dream, I'm really, I really like the piece of music, and I really want to play it, and I know what I would play. I can hear the tune in my head, and I'm dying to emote, and it's just this physicality. I can't get the instrument to speak because it's just not working at all in the dream. So it's very frustrating. I suppose it's not just a dream of anxiety about playing, it's also a dream of sort of wanting to be on stage playing, you know, because when you have, you know, all musicians have downtime and I think that creative side of you gets a bit kind of frantic and it comes out in the dreams. Yeah. Just be warned to be out there going, playing something. So when did you first want to be a musician or what was like the sort of spark as a child that set you off? Well, it's, yeah, it's an interesting question because I've been doing quite a bit of autobiographical story writing and I've been thinking about this. So when I was a kid, I mean, music was huge in my life. You know, my sister and I loved the Beatles. We saw the Beatles in 1963 when I was six at the, the, the Hammersmith Odeon Christmas show. So we listened and we listened and I always loved music. And then I started with learning recorder at school and I was in some hideous recorder orchestra when I was about 10 and they got a few older girls to come in with instruments and there was a girl playing the oboe and I instantly thought it was the most amazing sound so I started learning the oboe I was lucky enough my parents could buy me one and afford to do that um so throughout my teen years I was practicing loads and playing in the school orchestra and doing grades I was quite serious about it but I never in any way linked that to my love of what the music the music I actually listened to I wasn't listening to classical music I was listening to pop music like everyone else and I never in my head did it occur to me that I could be in a band which is really weird I mean I should have I should have just played the bass and been in a band or been a singer or something and I don't know why I was so blind to that so I was doing all this classical stuff but actually really digging all this other stuff so those two worlds didn't really meet until I'd finished university and Virginia Astley who I was at university with asked got a record deal this is like the early 80s very early 80s and asked me and Nikki Holland be part of her band to go on tour we were the ravishing beauties and we went yeah. on tour supporting the teardrop explode so i went from nothing to playing to two thousand people like, like touring all over the uk and playing vocoder singing playing oboe but we you know nikki was class uh Ginny was classically trained and we'd all been to uni so we had all that language in common but we're doing this pop thing so it was absolutely brilliant i mean i my two worlds finally met any notion of being a classical musician went right out the window after i'd done you know the buzz of doing those gigs and the fun of it i just i loved it so much and that's when i you know, started doing a bit of songwriting and i'm quite thick in that way i just never really put two and two together so then i was like sort of on the road to having working in pop bands but i played the oboe which was really the most ludicrous, stupid career choice anyone could make, because it's like, talk about being unemployed. <laughs> so thick. I mean, I just, bits of my brain just didn't work, like, didn't think it through at all. So Ravishing Beauty split up quite quickly, and then I just did some odd jobs, but then I met Nick from the Dream Academy, 
at a party and he and Gilbert were just getting their stuff together and looking for people who play weird instruments so I joined that and while I was in Dream Academy I then expanded my palette and taught myself sax and accordion and you know develop keys and stuff which I you know I've had to sort of I've really had to develop so many skills as my sort of working life went on just to keep busy but I do part of me just wishes I played bass if I'd worked that as hard as I did on the oboe on bass, I could have, you know, in my fantasy world, I, I could have toured with anyone I wanted. <laughs> you could be Karen Kay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, oh. I once stayed up all night taking drugs, a certain type of amphetamine drug in my early 20s, playing bass, you know, with headphones on, you know, listening to records, and I just had the best fun. Should have done it, but there you go still time but anyway like, no there isn't no, no there isn't still time it's not going to happen everything that you do is like someone said to me years ago that if you're going to start an instrument you know choose something that there isn't loads of players of and yeah. so there isn't there, there isn't is that argument players. yeah it's my usp i suppose but yeah. that doesn't help when you've got months and months of no work you know and and yeah, also it's not that much fun playing oboe in the band i've got to be honest you're only doing icing you're not part of the meat and potatoes you never get to be on the fun bit of cutting the track when I finally got around to being like a pianist and I was there as we cut tracks I was like god this is great you know you're in there from the beginning you're listening to everyone you're really you're giving birth to a track rather than coming in later to do an overdub some mingy little bit where it's not full up with all the fun parts everyone else put down when they cut it you know, <laughs> yeah. and I was always in Dream Academy going, oh, there's my special logo line. Don't let it lost in the mix. I was sort of clinging onto these things. I mean, it just, it's so sad, really. So, yes, the, it, it is a USP and, you know, I've done some nice sessions and all that. But to be honest, it's it's a bit of pill to swallow. But I kind of wish I'd done something a bit more, been like a pianist or, as I said, you know, anyway, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you write or work better in the day or at night and has that changed over the years oh definitely day always day i'm not a night owl at all mid-morning to mid-afternoon is my best time i mean if i if i'm absorbed in a project i'll keep going keep going but i don't i'd rather not work at night yeah do you agree with um who's that woman who just won the oscar who wants daytime gigs jamie lee curtis she's been like doing she's been in the news recently um saying that she really wants to go and see like foo fighters or big bands but she'd like them to do an afternoon concert oh (laughs) no i don't mind going to gigs at night i don't mind going out or playing a gig but but if i'm sitting you know i'm in my little room in my world yeah i mean i wouldn't be able to watch TV box sets otherwise would I if I had to work in the evening <laughs> no and then also that that thing of working from home you know every day is the same weekends the same there's got to be some sort of definition in the day so at that point you know me or Neil start making supper dinner at like seven or something and that bit of the day is over and then we're kind of into eating and watching telly or whatever god we sound so no no I was the same yesterday I could have carried on editing yesterday and I just switched everything off and I was like no I've got to have some family time we're all spending all day in front of our computers I mean I don't what did we do (laughs) what did we do before we had them 
I mean, we just sort of stared. I mean, sure, we were much more creative in some way, but I mean, or not, I don't know. But without that interface with the whole of the world, I mean, we, we're, we're, our brains are completely and utterly changed. You know, I mean, if I'm writing a song, I'll type it in, I'll have it on Word, and then I'll edit it easily. I don't have to do it longhand. You know, I'll be working in Logic or in Sibelius. Or check a fact on your phone. Oh, that, or just... I wonder about that and there's Google I mean it's it's incredibly brilliant this encyclopedia we have at our fingertips so 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 quick and it, you know I think writing in word is fantastic you don't have to keep crossing out and you can just d- d- delete and change it or sort of shift it down and try another bit it's so great I've never used Sibelius, but you do a lot of orchestration, don't yeah. you? So. Yeah, if I do an arrangement, I mean, I'll work in Logic, I'll drag the track in, and then I have all the different instrument sounds, and I'll create an arrangement. And then a lot of arrangers will then send it to a copyist, but I, I, don't like, I like to do the copying myself because then I can, because I'll keep tweaking it as I do it. I like to have control until the final second before I hand it over. And I'm quite anal, I quite enjoy putting things into Sibelius so great (laughs) neat so and is that is that self-taught or was that self-taught yeah yeah it's easy so but I mean logic's quite as you know is is quite complex logic logic is one of those softwares where everyone uses it you probably use it in a completely different way than I do because there's 10 different ways to do one thing we all learn our different routes in but Sibelius is is is, is much more user-friendly and easy and if you have a project you just learn it by doing the project it's, it's easy it's but it's not necessary if, 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 unless you're doing arranging or writing parts people it's just not necessary learning on the job how many people who i interview for this podcast in creative roles they get to a certain point through education and then Everything else is learning on the job of trial and error. And oh, God, yeah. Going forwards. Yeah, yeah. Everything is, isn't it? When you go to bed, do you like quiet or noise? Do you read a book, have the radio, podcast or music? What's your routine? This is so intimate. Neil and I do Wordle together. But together but separate. We don't show each other. We'll go, we'll get, okay, we'll do our first word, then he'll go two yellows, and I'll go, like, one green, and, and then the next one, you know, and then he'll go, I've got it, well, I'll go, I've got it, and then, then we'll look at each other's. And then if we get to five, and neither of us have got it, then, then we um, share, and we panic, we're going to lose our streak, because we've never lost it. <laughs> <laughs> so we cheat, and, like, look at each other's, and we're, we're just so sad. So then I'll, I'll, I might play, I play Scrabble with Neil and with Tracy Thorne, so I do a couple, couple of Scrabble games and then, and then I read. Yeah, I'm reading loads at the moment. I love it. Mm. I've just joined the library. I mean, I've, I've forgotten about libraries. It's absolutely brilliant. So the minute a book comes out, I want to read. I didn't have to buy an expensive hardback. Might be obvious, but people forget about libraries. And nowadays you can just have an app. So, you, well, you know, you might tell me about a book you love. So I'll just, I'll put it in the library app and order it and then they just send you an email when it's ready to be picked up from your local library and it's fantastic so i'm using that loads yeah yeah i've forgotten about libraries no i know like i love curtis sittenfeld the writer absolutely love her and i just was reading the other day and she's got a new book coming out so i've immediately went on the app and so i put it in and i'm like number one so if i left it till you know, a couple of weeks, I might be number 13 and would have taken ages for it to come. Everyone should use libraries, you know, because they're, they're, you know, they're struggling, of course, like all 
great things. The last novel I blew me away was um, That Two Trees by Percival Everett. Do you know that one? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, though. I think it got Booker Prize nominated, but it's it's fantastic, like really funny and dark and insightful. Yeah, get that on your library app. Well, you were saying sad about Wordle, but Neil and I do a cryptic crossword every single night. Oh, do you? Well, the Guardian yeah. one? Oh, God, I do that. I, I, I do bits of that in the at lunchtime, usually. God, it's so hard. I mean, Neil and I do it. If we're on a road trip, we'll do the the Guardian one, but he's he's sort of gone out of doing it. God, you do the whole thing, because it's hard. I mean, I've been, Neil taught me it, and I've been doing it for years, and often I can only get a few. They're fuckers, aren't they? Yeah. But yeah. you managed well, we to get it all done. Like... That's so impressive. We started with the cryptic one and then moved on to the cryptic. So we do both now. Most days, like, we get them done in, like, 40 minutes. Impressive. Yes. What, the the cryptic, not the quick? Yeah, yeah. Does that make you sleepy? I mean, if we're doing it in the car, I will get after about clue 10. Neil goes, you're melting off, aren't you? Because it's my brain, because it uses a lot of calories, I think. It does use brain calories. Well, that's why I love doing it. We do it in in bed and then it'll get to a point where my brain is like overheating, you know, where you have to switch the hairdryer off or something because you can smell burning. And then then I go to sleep straight away. So it's brilliant. Oh, that's so nice you do that. Yeah, I love that. Well, unbelievably, we're at the last question. It is, can you think of a lullaby song or book that, sent you to sleep as a child god i mean i can think of books i loved as a child will that do there's no right or wrong answer no. well there's like yeah um well my mum read to us she was brilliant like that even though she worked really hard she was a teacher but she would always read to us and she read us the whole of the narnia books the whole the hobbit all of the lord of the rings and i always remember that though there i mean i love love talking i've reread the lord of the rings many times there are boring sections in it which are the songs long elven elfish songs and my mom would always skip those <laughs> and whenever aragorn said i'm aragorn son of arathorn she would do it in this funny voice i am aragorn son of arathorn and we'd all crack up and i mean for a long time my sort of image of security was being a kid in bed, drifting off to my mum's voice. And sometimes it would stop and I realised she'd fallen asleep. Uh, yeah, and I couldn't wait to do that when I had, when, when Esther was, my daughter was little. I read her the same books. That was just the most, that full coming full circle. For me, that was one of the most rewarding things I've done in my life. You know, reading and Cher falling asleep, reading those books and passing on what, you know, my mum did. Which, you know, is a really basic human thing, isn't it? People do yeah. pass on. And it's one of the loveliest things of being a parent, isn't it? If you're lucky enough to have, to have had a nice, nice parents, is to, yeah. pass those, is, is to pass them on. Did you do the voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all <laughs> that. Yeah. Not as good as my mum. My mum was brilliant at voices. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a joy. Lovely, lovely to talk, yes. Oh, thank you, Kate St. John. Thank you, Catherine Williams. Bye. (laughs)